Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Scott Pianowski, and I want to jump right into our guest today, who is Davis Maddock. I was just telling him right before we started, this guy's got so many good takes and so many good angles and so many good strategies. I, I'm almost reluctant to share them because I know they're going to be used against me in my leagues. It's going to cut down my EV a little bit, but hopefully it will help yours. Mr. Maddox, how are you? You know, I'm doing I'm doing great. We are in the thick of draft season. I think I've done about 15 drafts the last two days, just been, been grinding them out. I I, I think it's one of those things where football season is kind of, you know, sneaking up on all of us because we didn't know if it was going to happen or not. And, uh, you know, we're really making up for lost time, getting as many drafts in as we can. Yeah, we are definitely in the middle of draft season. For me, it's it's best ball early. That's how I get the feel of the draft pool and, and how I, you know, where the, where the nooks and crannies are, the ebb and flow. And then I want to apply that to my seasonal leagues. And then, of course, in season, we'll be playing DFS. And let's just start with a an idea of stacking. We were recently in a best ball draft together and you were able to get a Kansas city stack, very juicy Kansas city stack and a very juicy Dallas stack in there. And I started to think about stacking. We know stacking is a DFS strategy and we know stacking can be a best ball strategy. It does stacking apply to seasonal. How do you feel about stacking in general? Do do, do people, what are some of the do's and don'ts of stacking? Just, I, I say stacking to you. What do you say? So I think that there is kind of this misconception that uh, like you don't need to do it or, or it's not really all that important. But I think the the number one thing that I would just tell people about stacking is think of all the start sit decisions you've gotten wrong in your life. Like, oh, I, you know, I played, uh, you know, I, I played uh, this wide receiver three over this wide receiver three and the other wide receiver three that I put on my bench, you know, the, the Lee Evans corollary, right? four targets, four catches, 120 yards and a touchdown. And, uh, you know, and you started uh, Jeremy Macklin and he had two catches for 17 yards and and did nothing. So the number one thing that stacking in weekly management leagues is going to do for you is just going to take those decisions out of your hand. If you have Matthew Stafford and you have TJ Hawkinson and Marvin Jones, you're, you're not going to debate on starting those guys. And the weeks where you go off the correlated, like, the, the good Matthew Stafford weeks, you're going to have these huge, great lineups. And the weeks where Matt Stafford does poorly, he's going to do poorly anyway. And, you know, that's going to affect your team anyway. So I think the the easiest way in fantasy sports to score more points, and this is true across hockey and soccer and baseball, it, it is just to correlate your decision points. And that's why I think we need to be stacking in every format. 
I think most people would agree if we were to rank all the fantasy offenses, I, I think Kansas City would have to be first. And then there's a debate, maybe Baltimore would be second. Dallas is high up on that list. How explosive do you think this Dallas offense is? Do you think they're buying opportunities here or they're priced up properly? Just give me a sense of how you view this Dallas team. I think other than Zeke, everyone's actually too cheap. I think that Amari Cooper should go ahead of Kenny Galladay and Mike Evans. He goes after them in pretty much every fantasy game. Uh, I think that Michael Gallup should go in the DJ Shark, Tyler Lockett tier. And it's starting to get that way because, you know, we have that iron sharpens iron thing of, you know, now we're getting millions of drafts being done across the country every single day. But for a long time this offseason, you could get Michael Gallup in the seventh or eighth round. Uh, you know, in the offense that led the NFL in in yards overall. So I, I think that he's too cheap. And then Lamb, I think, has a great opportunity because if you just look at the Dallas wide receiver depth chart, after those top three guys, you go, well, who's who is going to stop Lamb from starting week one? Is it is it Cedric Wilson? Probably not. You know, is it uh, you know Tavon Austin? Not even on the team anymore. Well, then the argument would be, well, is he even going to see the field? And th- their backup tight end is is Dalton Schultz. Rico Gather's not on the team anymore. So I, their base personnel from week one is just going to be Cooper, Gallup, Lamb, Jarwin, Zeke. And, you know, maybe we get some more Tony Pollard this year. But I, I think across the board, um, everyone is either priced appropriately where you can draft them and break even or or massively profit uh, all the way down to Jarwin. Do you view uh, Dak as the number three quarterback? Uh, yeah, I have him. I have him there. And the reason why I have him ahead of Kyler is uh, play calling concerns like Dallas. Uh, I don't think is going to struggle to be aggressive this year, the way they were under Jason Garrett. And also I, I think there is um, a slight concern that Hopkins is not a plus Hopkins, his first year in Arizona, you know, just that history of uh, elite free agent wide receivers, switching teams. Oftentimes they take a year in the new team to rebound in form. And that's, you know, with preseason games, with full contact practices, and now we don't have either of those things. Yeah, Hopkins has certainly been one of my fades for that reason. I, I don't think I'm going to have any of him. And it, he's obviously a wonderful player, and I think eventually he'll be great in Arizona, but I don't want to bet on him this year. Uh, when we mentioned Lamb, I know this can be a little bit too convenient that people can say, oh, well, it's, you know, it, it's a totally unique year and there's just no prep time. How can we trust these? These rookie receivers, we just saw a very strong rookie receiver class. I, I think the second best in the fantasy era, the 2014 class probably stands ab- above everybody else. But last year, a bunch of young receivers, other than, pretty much everybody but Nikhil Harry, by my memory, seemed to seemed to go off at one point or another. Uh, how do we handle really good re- receiver class came in? Uh, a, lot, a lot of talented guys, a lot of Alabama guys, a lot of first round guys, but it's 2020. How do we handle the rookie receiver class? I am basically uh, jamming these guys in at ADP. The one, the one who's gotten expensive is Jalen Rager, where he now goes like he sometimes goes as early as the eighth round in competitive leagues. And I, I like Rager, but um, you know, I, I think that instead, Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb, um, Lavisca Chanel, you guys, you can get all these guys at appropriate prices, and they may not start the year as fantasy starters, right? You may not be comfortable plugging Lavisca Chanel in week two, but I think all these guys are pretty great prospects. We had a ton of guys go in the first and second round of the NFL draft, which just generally correlates to playing time. And, um, you know, I was talking to a buddy last night, and, and I kind of forgot that 
AJ Brown actually was not a fantasy starter for the for the beginning of the year. You know, everyone remembers AJ Brown just crushing it and scoring a 60-yard touchdown every game, but he was playing behind Adam Humphreys, Tajay Sharp, and Corey Davis for really the first half of the season for Tennessee. And I think that's very indicative of what we expect from Ruggs, from Judy, uh, from Rager. Well, pro- Rager probably starts week one, but I'm not sure if he's, you know, rocket ship from week one, it, but especially Chenault is, I think those guys can be league winning teams, uh, league winning guys over the second half of the year. I almost wonder if maybe my personal path might be that a lot of these guys, maybe I won't draft them, but I'll be very eager to pick them up when somebody gets tired of them in, in week four, week five, by weeks come in, they have more immediate needs. Um, I got some Mike Evans in 2014, just because somebody got hurt and he missed a couple of games. Somebody couldn't afford to hold them. And I lucked into the timing of that. I mean, you know, be lucky with timing isn't really a re- re- repeatable strategy, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to point to it anyway. Uh, just to put a, a period on the stacking discussion, look, we, we all know stack Kansas City. You know, I think Baltimore's got a reasonable stack argument. We talked about how Dallas could be a very stackable team. Who were maybe some of the secondary stacks or just like an under-the-radar stack that's interesting to you? I know I'm going to have some Chark and Minshew somewhere just because I think it's just going to be a really fun kind of carnival atmosphere in Jacksonville. And and I've been you know trashing Leonard Fournette kind of daily. It, it got a little bit messy yesterday. We'll talk about him a little bit later. But uh, any under-the-radar teams or just maybe underserved stacking teams that you see right now? Well, I think a, a really important thing to note is it's okay to do like a, like the backdoor stack, especially in best ball where, you know, it's like Ryan Tannehill, Corey Davis, Johnu Smith or whatever. But then also the other important thing you should be thinking is the higher you draft your tight end, the higher you draft your wide receiver, the, the better that stack is going to be because you're making the correlated bet that, you know, not only is your second round wide receiver going to hit, but then that their quarterback probably beats their expectation. So uh, Kenny Holiday is I think is pretty solid and Stafford was playing the best football of his career last year for eight weeks before he got injured and uh, a really sneaky one that I don't think that uh, is popular at all is Tyler Higby and Jared Goff and I view those as mega correlated I think there's no way that Higby beats ADP without Goff returning to kind of that 2018 form and I think there is no way that Higby gets there if the Rams are bad, right? If, if the, you know, the continued uh, dissension of the, of the Sean McVay apple falling from the tree or the shine coming off the apple with Sean McVay, like I, I think those guys are hyper correlated. And that's one that I, I use a lot in these best ball drafts. It's interesting you mentioned Hagby because I feel like he's a debated guy in the fantasy industry. I know a lot of people are in on Hagby. I'm in on him. Uh, Michael Salfino's in on Hagby. I know some people who think, yeah, look, he he was behind Gerald Everett before this whole thing happened in December. Um, I think some people are maybe there's maybe there's a little bit of McVeigh fatigue because um, you know that offense wasn't that shiny to me. I think he's just I think McVeigh is evolving, and they went to a different offense. And when a guy has four straight hundred yard games at the tight end position, I know a couple of juicy matchups in there, and obviously Everett being off the field helped. But if you see the the routes that they were running Everett and the ways they were getting him the ball, really easy catches and and very creative usage. I feel like that's a genie that's out of the bottle and McVeigh's not putting it back in. So I started out the offseason being pretty out on Tyler Higby. And then, you know, a couple things really uh, got me back into it. First off is, you know, I don't know if they're going to throw the ball to their running backs that much, which is something they did in 2017 and 2018 and then didn't do at all last year, which I think is partly 
um, an explanatory variable for why Higby was not good for his first, you know, not good for fantasy, his first couple years in LA and then had that opportunity arise. And then also I've kind of been a long-term, like Josh Reynolds is, is a good sort of guy, but he's really not like, I just kind of looking more into Josh Reynolds, very low yards per target relative to the offense, you know, really his best role is kind of near the red zone, but that's probably mostly fluky. And then also for all of Higby's career, not just those insane, you know, that insane five game stretch last year, he was a very hard, very high targets per route run guy. That is a, that is a stat discovered from our friend, Pat Corain from establish the run, just that even before he was putting up amazing fantasy numbers, when he was on the field and running routes, he was targeted at a really high rate, which would suggest, you know, either he's very good at creating separation or Jared Goff just likes to throw to him uh, the type of routes that he runs. So I think that's pretty big. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely on the on the Higby train too. It's kind of a little bit of a shame, maybe not so much with Higby, but you talked about how the ADPs are starting to get more efficient now. And that, that's one reason why I love best ball drafting early. And I love drafting. I, I don't draft before the NFL draft. That's just a little bit too chaotic and random for me. But once the NFL draft is, is in ink, I love those two or three months where it's a, the ADPs are kind of wide open and I feel they're only going to get more and more efficient the rest of the month. So I, I, I feel like, you, you know, get in now while there's still really good opportunity to be had. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely agree. I mean, I think that the May, June, July drafts are, you know, some of the most profitable ones that you can do basically. You know, I think that. Uh, there, we don't have all of this external pressure. We don't have a ton of training camp updates. And if you get ahead on some, you know, kind of small news items like, oh, you know, Jarek McKinnon is healthy and the 49ers plan to use him as their third down. Or if you realize something that the market doesn't realize as much like, oh, Josh Jacobs is not going to catch any passes. They re-signed Jarek or uh, they re-signed Jalen Richard. They draft Lynn Bowden Jr. Like, and those are things that the public realizes by September 1st, where Josh Jacobs has slowly been creeping out of the first round back towards, you know, the the second round where is, is more appropriate for him. And just if you are kind of putting the work in early on, you will figure those things out. Totally agree. I get frustrated when there's an early injury and some people will jump up and down and say, oh, that's why we get a draft in September 1st, man. You know, you can't be drafted in June, but. Like fo- football and injuries are just, you never get away from that. I mean, there's going to be a ton of injuries when the season starts. And I feel like what you gain in that, that fresh powder that's just been put down rather than once tracks start getting made and, and stuff becomes more obvious and becomes shared and, and then things totally change. I, I think it's worth it. And even if somebody doesn't agree that it's maybe plus EV, which is fine. If nothing else, if you do all the early drafts, you're going to get so familiar with the positional pool. And I think there's a lot, of payoff there. We, we've got to jump into running backs. I, we can't talk 45 minutes on running backs. And we've obviously, we had a running back preview last week with Andy Barron's. That was terrific. So I, I encourage everybody to go back with that, but running backs, the most important position in fantasy, as far as you, you have to have that position figured out or you have to run good and running back, or you're just not going to have a good year. I, I don't care how many hits you get at other positions. If your running backs don't work out, you're probably not going to have a good season. And uh, your draft strategy piece on sports grid, talked about your your strategy for running backs this year, and you made it very simple. You said modified, zero, RB, or die. So that's a five words. Explain what that means, and let's talk running backs a little bit. 
So if I, if I was going to extend it a couple more words, it would be uh, don't don't draft bad running backs just because they're eligible at the running back position. Don't don't take a player that you think is going to score fewer points than a wide receiver or a tight end just because you can put those points in at running back, especially because it is becoming more and more popular for home leagues to add, you know, multiple flex spots as, as every flex spots get added wide receivers become more valuable and running backs become less valuable. You know, Christian McCaffrey, if you can start 12 players, sure, the team with Christian McCaffrey should still probably be favored, but every additional roster spot is worth, uh, you know, more and more. And drafters, in regardless of format, regardless of scoring, just always let good wide receivers go too long. You know, people are drafting guys like Todd Gurley, Leonard Fournette, Le'Veon Bell, Chris Carson, just these guys with massive warts over – DJ Shark over Cortland Sutton over Terry McLaurin like it, it the, the list just goes on and on and and it can also be said pretty simply by this is probably going to be the weirdest year ever in terms of guys missing games you know guys not playing and the example that I've been using with people is if Mike Thomas misses a game who benefits well you know Kamara probably gets a couple extra targets Jared Cook probably takes a slightly bigger role maybe move Manny Sanders from wide receiver 42 on the week to wide receiver 35 maybe Traquan Smith is startable in a 16 team league but there's no real clear beneficiary uh if Ezekiel Elliott ends up on the COVID list for three weeks Tony Pollard might score the most points in fantasy football over those three weeks if Alvin Kamara misses Latavius Murray might score the most fantasy points over those three weeks if Dalvin Cook misses you know and the and the list goes on and on and there are kind of five or six running backs who are clear uh, you know, contingent value guys, but it, it's very easy to see why that is the correct strategy this year. I think. Now, when you say modified zero RB, for those who may not know exactly what that is, just give give a definition for that. So, what you said about running backs being most important, all, all everything I just said, it, it's still true that like having this crazy good running back is really valuable. And basically, what it means is if you have one of those top five, six, seven, eight picks, and that's kind of controversial for some people you still are taking a running back. You're not taking Michael Thomas over McCaffrey. Uh, you're not taking him over Saquon Barkley, uh, Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook. And then for me, I have Miles Sanders and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in that group. You know, I will take Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at, at seven. I'll take Miles Sanders at eight. And that is where the list ends for me. So Derrick Henry, not in there for me, though I, I won't strenuously object to it. Uh, but then the guys who I would just be like, you, you're probably losing value taking these guys over Michael Thomas is... Joe Mixon, Nick Chubb, Josh Jacobs, Kenyon Drake. I, I think that those guys are second round picks for sure. Drake's interesting to me because I look eight game sample in Arizona. He was the running back four in PPR the moment he hit down. And I know it's the air raid offense, but it's a really good running offense. And they might, I would think as they get closer to being a competitive team, maybe you have more positive game scripts than, than they had last year, but he has such a small sample of being productive. Obviously he wasn't a starter in college, which I can kind of overlook, or, or a full-time guy in college, I can overlook that when you go to Alabama. And there's just so many great athletes that it's hard to have that backfield to yourself. But um, are you going to have any Drake this year? I, I feel like he's he's kind of a in or out player for a lot of people. Are you firmly out on Drake? No, not at all. Uh, another another key thing is that um, run, early running backs are more valuable in best ball especially the best ball championships you know on a lot of these sites they have the championships where you play in a 12-man league but the goal really is to win the overall contest right and something that you run into is zero rb tends to be very good 
against fragile teams over 16 weeks, but you, you, you move that time frame to 12 weeks to make the playoffs. You know, you move that time frame to 10 weeks to get to the first in your league. Those running backs that have, that are going to score points in the first month of the season, the first six weeks of the season tend to be more valuable just because it puts your team in position to win the league and make the playoffs. So Kenyon Drake, probably not a guy that I am pressing the button on all that often, you know, like taking DJ Moore there a lot, taking Chris Godwin there, Julio Jones, but in, best ball where you can't also you can't make waiver moves right you can't so if uh you know if if uh dalvin cook gets hurt you can't go pick up mike boone speculatively you just you have your 18 or 20 guys and you're just riding out from there so I, i'm more likely to take him in best ball for sure one thing i like about modified zero rb I, I wrote an article a few years ago where i called it anchors away i wasn't able to brand it very well and nobody knows what i'm talking about when i say that but just the idea that i got this solid running back in the first round that I really feel good about. And then I could start pounding other positions and I'll get yeah, whatever. I'll, I'll kind of ham and egg it at the RB two RB three spots. But one reason why I've always liked that is then you don't shop in the third or fourth or fifth round for running backs, which can, which I think can just be a terrible place to shop. Ben Gretsch put a really good piece out uh, about the dead zone. I forget exactly what he phrased that. I think he meant to call it the dead zone or something like that. Yeah, and, the running back dead zone. Right. And you're going to run, this is where you're going to run into Leonard Fournette. You're going to run to Todd Gurley. I know they're the two of my biggest fades this year. I believe they're on your fade list as well. Uh, what, what's your take on running backs in that pocket? And specifically, why don't we like Fournette or Gurley? So, I mean, it's just very obvious to see psychologically what happens with those guys. You look at Gurley, you look at Fournette, you look at Melvin Gordon, and you go like, oh, well, these guys are starting running backs. Like, they're just going to get 200 carries. They're going to get some targets. They're going to get some touchdowns. And you psychologically look at your roster and you go, why well, just, I got to fill the starting lineup. I got to have a team that looks pretty when this is all done, right? So you just, like, the, the, the lizard brain drafters are just like, all right, Todd Gurley, let's do it. Chris Carson, let's do it. David Johnson, let's do it. And, you know, specifically for Fournette, the team tried to trade him. The people that drafted him are out of the building. His protector from the second administration that he played under in, in Jacksonville, Tom Coughlin, he also left. Uh, Jay Gruden has never had his leading rusher. This is insane. He's been in the league for almost a decade. He, and every team he's coached, the guy who led the team in rushing attempts, has never had more than 26 targets. And, uh, in fact, the guy who led his backfield in targets for each of the last three seasons, Chris Thompson, uh, signed on the roster. But then also, Reichwell Armstead was bad and inefficient as a runner when he came in to spell Fournette last year, but was efficient as a pass catcher, you know, was mostly fine catching those dump-offs from Gardner Minshew. So I, I basically just think that th there's, like, 100 times you play this season out, Fournette pays his tag off, like, 10% of the time. Yeah, I was getting into it for, with some of the Fournette people on the weekend, and and somebody was pointing to how easy Jacksonville's rushing schedule was. And, and my counter to that is, look, they're projected to be, by win total, I think the worst team in the NFL. So how could you possibly have a lot of positive game script if you're a 4-12, and 5-11, and 3-13 team, which, which I think is what they're squarely looking at here. Really interested in Minshew and Chark, but uh, it, all the things you pointed to, uh, they tried to, not only they tried to trade Fournette, they got zero offers. They, they, they couldn't give the guy away. And he's in a lame duck contract situation. He's probably not coming back. I, I even think, think there's a less than 0% chance he doesn't make the roster. I'm not saying it's going to cut. happen. Just get yeah. cut, right. I, I, don't think that's, I don't think that's completely, uh, you know, I think there's a chance of that. If, if I could get down on that at a pretty good number, I, I think I'd put something down on it. So 
you know, with the new OC, with all the stuff you mentioned with Thompson, I, I think you're, you're hitting a lot of the right spots there, checking a lot of the right boxes. What I point to with Gurley is that I have a theory I called the, the cheese theory, which is that once the cheese goes bad on a player and he's on the back nine of his career, I think it's a mistake to proactively expect that he's going to have a rebound. Not that this can never happen, but uh, I look at Gurley, you know, people say, oh, he's only 26. He's going to be the oldest 26-year-old in the league with all the knee problems and blowouts he's had at Georgia and in the NFL. And, and now he goes from a team, obviously the Rams had offensive line problems last year. The Falcons, I think, are going to be a really poor offensive line. You know, offensive lines to me are like, I want to know who the really great ones are and who the really awful ones are. And there's like 17 or 18 offensive lines that I just don't care about because they're they're good enough. They're capable enough. They can scheme around it if they have to. But uh, I just feel like Gurley is, people may not realize that it's closer to the end for Gurley than it is from the, from the beginning. And even though he had a strong fantasy year last year, just strictly because of the touchdown deodorant, that, that's great. If you can fall in the end zone 14 times, I would never project that for him. But all of his efficiency numbers were through the floor. Now, somebody's going to say to me, well, what if he went in the sixth round? Okay, look, if anybody drops crazy below their ADP, I'll reevaluate on the fly. I mean, you, you have to be that type of player in the room. But um, if he's going around his ADP, I could not be more out on Todd Gurley. What say you? Yeah, no, no interest. You know, the the injury concerns, the team, uh, you know, the, 40, uh, the Rams couldn't throw him the ball anymore because he couldn't cut up the field, you know, went from uh, 80 plus targets two years in a row to 49 targets in uh, 15 games last year. And you just you look at him and like, well, yeah, you can't throw the ball to this guy because he can't cut laterally. He can really only go in one direction. He, I, I think that a lot of what people are drafting him are is actually based on this kind of fragile idea that he won't lose any snaps to Brian Hill or Ito Smith, but he's a guy where if he loses third downs at all to Ito Smith, it's just like a disaster. Like it is just because Atlanta does throw to their running backs, but you're basically thinking like, oh, well, they have to throw to their running backs and it has to be to Todd Gurley or it's just a a huge mess. If we're not in on Gurley, I know you mentioned Julio. Uh, earlier is Atlanta a fun maybe carnival team with Ryan I talked about carnivals last week Ryan Julio uh, maybe Calvin Ridley has a step-up season Ridley's interesting because he's been so ballyhooed in the community the price just keeps rising on him he's another guy the inefficient market a few months ago gave you Ridley opportunity you really can't get right now just give me a, a quick hit on that Atlanta passing game yeah, so I don't think very much of Hayden Hurst. I know they traded the second round pick for him, but I, I think that you know targets do kind of tend to be an indicator of quality, unlike carries, where carries are just given because offenses feel the need to run the ball regardless of, of who's healthy or, or who the running back is. So if you think that, you know, Sanu's gone, replaced by Russell Gage, maybe Olamid Zacchaeus plays there, uh, you know, maybe Justin Hardy plays whatever. Uh, we think there's a running back probably that's not going to earn a huge target share. I think there is kind of one of those seasons where we have, you know, 1,400 yards from Julio Jones, 1,100 yards from Calvin Ridley, and like 60% of the team's total targets goes to those two guys. I I actually think that's in the range of outcomes. And I I think talking about stacking, uh, Julio in the second, Calvin Ridley in the third, Matt Ryan in the eighth is like a a really interesting one, both for weekly management and for best ball. Very, very gettable too. Ryan's one of my favorite guys because when I see somebody who's consistently productive but so boring that you never have to pay a premium for him, um, that's I don't know. There's something like that when the middle of a draft. I'm not saying I want to draft like that at the at the front because you need your early picks should excite you. If the first couple of guys you've drafted aren't exciting to you, you have really done it wrong. But um, Matt Ryan is a, is a comfortable fallback for me 
in 2020. Now, a lot of people are saying it's a really deep wide receiver season, and you don't agree with that. You think it's, it's actually uh, much the opposite. Uh, why don't you explain that? And let's talk some receivers. Well, people say that because they can tell their some they, they can tell themselves stories about guys all the way into like the 14th round, right? They're like, oh, you know, I'm starting Julian Edelman and Brandon Cooks and Anthony Miller. And they're like, well, those are all starting wide receivers. Those guys are all going to have good weeks. And the first thing that that does is that tells you that you are going to pick the right weeks to start guys, right? That you are you are good at predicting what weeks guys are going to score points and that you're, you're going to get your start sit decisions, right? Like the huge equity in taking Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, DJ Moore, DJ shark is that these guys are just going to start them every week. You're never going to worry uh, about, about sitting them for matchup concerns or whatever. And they are going to pay off that tag. Whereas, and, and also spending waiver wire dollars on wide receivers is like just a loss. So often, you know, how many times like, Right. We all have the the Lee Evans, the Devery Henderson, uh, Demarcus Robinson, I guess, is kind of the the new age version of that. Like, you know, four targets, two touchdowns. Guy played 50 percent of snaps. He spends some fab dollars on him. And, uh, you know, you 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 never start him and then you end up cutting him back. Whereas at running back, you know, if you're going to play a guy one week or not. Right. So starter gets injured. Uh, you pick up the backup, you spend your fab dollars and you use them and you feel good about that stability. And I think that wide receiver just, it, it's just not deep at all. If you look at projected points, really there's a huge drop off kind of after Tyler Lockett and Cortland Sutton, where it's then all guys who project for like kind of like less than 12 points a game. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just not very deep at all. Yeah, this goes back to the, the idea of zerified, uh, modified zero RB, where I love the idea. If you have a lineup where you have that stud running back you're playing every week, and then you have, say, your league starts three receivers. If you know who those three guys are every week and they're strong, they're, they're the unbenchable types. You're never benching Adam Thielen. Okay, that's that's what you want. And as far as a running back, too, I mean, you, you can get so much of running backs is just the, the usage, and that's pretty projectable. If, if we know somebody's going to get double-digit touches – as a running back, they're probably going to have a certain amount of value. And if they have those touches, some of those touches are in the passing game even more so because they're, they're more valuable. We have to, it's a leap of faith just to know any receiver is going to get targets. And even if it gets targeted, they could be for not. You could be targeted eight times and have 27 yards, no touchdown. And then that's a, that's a loss for you. So I like people, I like, I always feel better about my rosters. If I know after five or six rounds, if I'm already kind of ahead of other people in receiver, but I have a running back I can hang my hat on, I feel like those are the strongest rosters by the end of the draft. Yeah, I mean, you just you you think about setting your lineup for week one, and you're like, okay, I got my, I have my CMC, Barkley, Zeke, Kamara, whoever, you know, my my stud, my anchor, and then I have three wide receivers who I I don't even know who they play week one, and I don't even care because they're just going to be starting and they're going to score a lot of points, and I'm going to feel great about it. And then you, you just kind of work with what you got at running back too. You know, I mean, we're, we're still a month away. Uh, some running back is going to tear their ACL at training camp. Someone's going to, someone's going to uh, have a, a hamstring and I'm, I'm not rooting for that. I'm never rooting for these guys to get hurt as, as the originator of zero run back, uh, you know, kind of concept in the original writer, Sean Siegel, as he said, you know, karmically, he's not rooting for anyone to get injured. And he doesn't actually want anyone, but he just wants to deal with the math of the game that we play. Right. That's the whole point is that, yeah, we're not rooting for chaos. We just know chaos is coming and let's find strategies that benefit 
from chaos. And, and we know the NFL is obviously a, a huge injury sport. There's more uncertainty this year with all, with all the health concerns that, that aren't even tied specifically to injury. So we need strategies that will work well when things get really chaotic. I, I want to get a piece of fantasy football wisdom from you. I, a lot of times when I see strategy pieces and the mistakes that managers make, it, a lot of times it's just one-on-one stuff like, oh, you got to know your rules really, really well, or don't take a defense in round seven, you know, don't pay up for last year's stats. I think people know that. What's maybe a secondary thing uh, as far as fantasy football strategy or wisdom that uh, you can offer our listeners? Uh, building your team structurally correct is actually like more important than getting your player projections correct. So, you know, we get really bogged down in, oh, well, I really like this player, but really it's just kind of more important to know, like historically running backs from round three to five are bad bets and tight ends from round six to 10 are bad bets. So you kind of just want, I, I think it's just very important to know historically what has got like what happens with players at given positions and with running backs, you know, you see guys get pushed up because people look at round six through 10 and they're like, well, I don't like any of those running backs. I don't want to start any of them. And uh, actually probably the, the best rule is whatever you draft, it's like by like week 10, you're going to have like four of those players left on your team. Guys right. are going to get hurt. You're going to trade. You're going to be grinding the waiver wire. You know, like it's, it's very rare the team you draft to be the the core of uh, of what you're starting in week 12 it's a great point I, I like to say and I'll, I'll use this as my wisdom you play fantasy football with a microscope more than a telescope and when people say to me in July or August oh I, look at this guy I'm going to get his week 15 16 schedule is, is awesome how do you even know one he'll be healthy then two the opponents will be as bad as you think or as juicy as you think by then so so many things are going to change and especially with, with defenses, right? I mean, we know that there's more year-over-year year stickiness with offenses. Defenses have a lot more variance. You know, that's one reason why you know, like the Patriots are a defense I would never draft. I don't care where they figured last year. I think this year they're like an 8-8, eight 9-7 eight, and seven team. I mean, it's a very ordinary squad. And you're just not going to have all those games where they're ahead by 20 points in the fourth quarter. And it's really a good spot for the defense maybe to pick up some garbage scoring. So I... I think the most important thing is just to get off to a good start. You know, if you want to look at schedules, look at early schedules, look at the stuff we know, and we'll figure out the lay of the land in, in the second half of the season. That's also when I'm more likely to to be invested in some of these backup running backs, these insurance running backs, guys who don't have standalone value, but could be really exciting if the starter in front of them got hurt. I, I want to play for the big inning in the summer. And I, I generally, I'm not saying I, I would never take one of these running backs who fits that profile, but I'm really interested in that in the middle of the season. I, I think that time to get involved in that type of player is halfway through the year. We know more definition of the depth chart. Uh, maybe I don't need some of the depth that I needed early in the year with buys. Maybe that's out the window. And now I can play. You know, the, the, the way I compare it a lot of times is in baseball, right? Bunting in the first inning can almost never be right. But bunting might be right in the ninth or tenth inning when one run wins the game. It, it might make sense once the path to winning is very specific but I just hate to see anybody bunting in the summer. Yeah. Okay. There, this, that actually reminds me of another one that, and this mm -hmm. sounds like very trite, but people don't do it. Don't draft a kicker or a defense. If the season is a month sure. away, uh, draft two extra running backs and you know, you can cut them like whatever, you know, draft uh, uh, Daryl Williams for the chiefs, right? Like, so he has no value now, but if, you know, God forbid something happens to Clyde Edwards Hilaire in training camp, Daryl Williams is going in the eighth round 
right? Uh, something happens to Josh Jacobs. Lynn Bowden Jr. is going in the eighth round. Uh, something happens to Leonard Fournette. Michael Armstead's probably just going where Leonard Fournette is going. Like, I, I don't see any reason why you'd want to lock up, you know, when you're in your 12-team home league with your buddies. Like, why why would you uh, keep a defense slot when you could just be, you could be trying to hit the home run? That's a great piece of strategy. And, and right now is the, is the time to employ it. Give yourself three or four weeks to get lucky with a, a piece of news. Now, the corollary to this is that if you're drafting right before the season, when you are going to draft a defense and a kicker, just look at week one or week two. And, and you don't, I don't care what you think of them long term. Just get, get the cheapest uh, defense that you would want to play in week one. That's fine with me. I, n- none of this. You're not going to have, with very rare exception, you're going to have like one or two primary defenses all year. It, it just doesn't work that way. That's going to be the position. And we know with kicker and defense, they're very significantly tied to you want to have a winning team. You want to have a team that ultimately wins the game. And whenever anybody asks me a, a start sick question on a defense and one team is like on a five-point favorite, one team's on an underdog, I'm like, I don't even care about anything else. You don't have to go into any deep analysis here. You're taking the defense on the team that's favored. Yeah, I mean, that's just, again, one of the things where we know historically over 50 years of of NFL games, like just home favorites are just you just play a home favorite defense and uh, don't really sweat anything else. And for you to keep a defense all year, it's got to be kind of one of those like historic runs like the Chicago Bears that year where they scored like 15 touchdowns or something insane or the Patriots last year. And which is just totally random, really. Right. And even the Patriots, it kind of ran out that bubble burst. In the, in the final third of the season. But yeah, if it's not a historic defense, you, you're not carrying them through bye weeks and stuff like that. We're getting fantasy advice from Davis Maddock, one of my best friends in the industry and, and just a great follow on Twitter, Davis Maddock. At the end of the podcast, we'll talk about some of his projects and we can get more of his work, including a, a cheat sheet, which is so detailed and, and yet easy to understand that it's just, just a monster resource to have. You print this thing out and, and you'll have basically Davis, you know, tapping you on the shoulder and guiding you every round if you would like that, which I think is a really good idea. Uh, we just saw Washington. There's been some shakeup in their backfield. Darius Geis is off the team for obvious reasons. Uh, Adrian Peterson looks like their first two round, two, two uh, down grinder, but he's a million years old. Um, Gibson's ADP is kind of jumping up. What's your take on him? Are you, are you going to be invested this year? What do you take, think about this backfield? Well, you know, another another reason to get those those drafts in early. I just you could you Gibson, one of my most drafted players of the offseason, because you could just uh, for a while you could get him free like he was going in like the 17th round. Then he kind of started to creep up is that, you know, the, the with Scott Turner called him Christian McCaffrey light or something like that, like the, the team started to talk about him. And now he goes really early like you, you are kind of lucky to get him in the eighth round now. And I, I mean, for the most part, I do kind of think that it's appropriate because, you know, kind of after the after the top 60 or so players, we're just talking about really wide ranges of outcomes. You know, these are guys who can get benched. These are guys who can just not be very good anymore. Um, so I, I'm very fine taking shots there. And I, I think that actually kind of the way that Gibson gets there. I think it's unrealistic in year one for him to go from being like an offensive weapon style player at Memphis to being a a 300 carry running back. But Washington has this really terrible wide receiver depth chart. So, you know, they have uh, they have McLaurin and they have Sims and then they just have a bunch of guys who are very average to below average. And they don't it's actually underrated. They don't really have a tight end either. They have Logan Thomas, who is, you know, fine. Uh, Hale Hentage is Jeremy Sprinkle, but these are not guys who demand playing time or targets. So I actually think kind of the way that you end up 
with a, a winning running back selection out of Gibson is they give him, do you remember when Sean Green and LaDainian Tomlinson played together in New York sure. and Sean Green was getting uh, 18 carries a game, but they were all the terrible carries. They were all uh, second and eight up the gut. And then LaDainian Tomlinson was getting like six carries a game, but it was all the good carries. It was the goal line carries. It was uh, third and three, you know, the pitch to the outside, the speed option, like he was getting all the good carries. And so I think Gibson can do that better than Peterson can, obviously. But then also there's no reason why he can't do what he did in college, which was just be a slot wide receiver and and do both of those things. And I think that's actually the Gibson upside case is that they give him some carries, but he's getting loads of work as a pass catcher. Just because we mentioned Washington, just give me a really quick on hit on this. Terry McLaurin just seems like a darling. I don't know anybody who has neg- anything negative to say about McLaurin, and, and I'll tie in Marquise Brown into this in a second. But uh, what's your take on McLaurin this year? Uh, I really like him. Um, I take him after Sutton, which I think is kind of controversial. I think a lot of people like McLaurin more than Sutton, but Sutton is just such an alpha. And I think that Locke, I will, I'm sort of taking the way that Denver structured their offseason to mean they saw what Kansas City is doing and they realized they're never going to be the best team in the division if they're giving 40 carries a game to Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman. I, I So I think that the Melvin Gordon signing actually shifts towards more pass-heavy because Melvin Gordon is not a very good running back, but he is a has generally been efficient as a pass catcher and is good around the goal line. They draft uh, Drew Locke's college teammate, Albert O, who he threw 14 touchdowns to his final season at Missouri. They draft KJ Hamler. Uh, you know, they they uh, draft Noah Fant and Jerry Judy in the first round of back-to-back years. I, I think they are basically telling us we want to try and be like Kansas city. We want to try and score 28 points a game. And you don't, you don't do, you don't do that by feeding Philip Lindsay carries on, on second and five. So I, I, I just think that the Denver prices might actually be really wrong in the market. If Drew Locke is good now, if Drew Locke is bad, you know, all, all bets are off, you know, who knows what happens and they, they go back into that shell. But if Drew Locke does kind of deliver on that promise that the organization sees in him, I think all other guys are underpriced just down the board. I know Fant and Hawkinson, uh, two of the second-year tight ends, are guys you're drafting a lot. Now, I'm going to say this. Fant is going to be a fantasy stud at some point really soon. I can't guarantee it's this year, but so many times I, he'd make a play last year, and I would just write it to him. Please, no Fant next year. Have a lot of this guy. Now, it turns out there's, there's a lot of tight ends I want to have. I, I feel like that you know, 9 to 15 tight end area – you know, and, and even going a little deeper, Jarwin's interesting. Herndon's interesting. We we talked earlier about uh, Higby, who's a, a little bit more expensive, but he's interesting. Um, it, it's a lot. Of, there's a lot of tight ends I want to get, but I, I just know that at one point people are going to be really glad they have Noah Fan. I I don't know if it's this year or not, but um, although I, I do have some Fan, and I know you've invested as well. What some of your targets? You have players uh, clearly marked as targets and fades in a piece that you did on Sports Grid. And one of the guys you have mentioned here is is Marquise Brown, and I and I made a joke on Twitter a couple of days ago that you know basically everybody in the FSWA has to do a Marcus Brown puff piece. You're a buzz piece, um, not that your piece should be read, not that people don't have good things to say about Brown, but I feel like everybody likes him. Uh, I think there's one writer I saw who did a piece on Brown, and then I saw his consensus ranking of Brown was actually below the market. And not that I want to pick on that. Sometimes our rankings don't always reflect how we feel, and we have to kind of update that stuff or whatever. I'm not trying to play gotcha. I'm just wondering, how can we make money on Marquise Brown if it feels like everybody is clamoring to get on that bus? 
Well, the way you make money on Marquise Brown is you draft him where you take Lamar Jackson. So maybe you play in dynasty leagues where you were lucky enough to get Lamar Jackson, you know, way below what his current value is. Maybe it falls to you in your draft where you lock up a stud running back in round one, a stud wide receiver in round two, and you're, you're really going for the home run and you want to take Lamar Jackson. And also, uh, so, so, and then like, a great way to do that, I think, is so, you know, you start Saquon Barkley, you take DJ Moore at the end of the second round, and then Lamar's sitting there for you at, you know, the 302, and you take Lamar, and then, you know, you go with, uh, you know, oftentimes it's going to be like Sharp or Lockett there at the end of the fourth, and then you can start the fifth round with Marquise Brown, and that's definitely above market for him, but those bets are so correlated because Lamar is not going to, Lamar to pay off his tag this year and to be a league-winning player, not only does he have to run again, but they're going to have to be in more high-volume passing situations. They're going to have to play more competitive games. And we actually saw that in the playoff game where they fell behind. And when they fell behind, they they stopped playing around, right? It was, we have to get points on every single possession, no matter what. And when they did that, Mark Ingram was not on the field. It was Justice Hill every snap. And Justice Hill was either running routes or pass blocking and creating space for Lamar. They were throwing the ball deep down the field. And, you know, I'm not here to relitigate, you know, can Lamar make it? Is is he a good quarterback? Whatever. I'm not interested. I think he's great. I think the Ravens are going to score a ton of points. But the more that they are in those game situations, the higher and higher the ceiling for Marquise Brown goes. So for Brown to get there, you actually are rooting for the Ravens to kind of be a worse team relative to league average. You know, once that game became obvious that the Titans were going to win it, it was actually really fun to watch the Ravens play in the second half. And Jackson had a ton of uh, you know, pseudo garbage time. They kind of made the game cos- cosmetically close. Jackson, if you played fantasy in the playoffs, man, I, I know in the Salfino contest, I didn't play the, the Baltimore quarterback that week. And I got killed because Jackson just put up this monstrous score. And it was fun. And Brown, of course, well over 100 yards, had I believe, had a touchdown in that game. So you could see some of what might be possible this year when they need to play a little bit different. We have only about a minute left. Uh, some of the fades that are, are mentioned on your Sports Grid article, Leonard Fournette, we talked about a lot, Le- Le'Veon Bell, Emmanuel Sanders, Julian Edelman, a lot of back nine players, I would say, on that list. Just just pick one of those guys and, and maybe in 30 seconds tell us why they're a fade. So Edelman is the one that I think surprises people because he's been so stable for so long. Basically, I think he's a bad stylistic fit for Cam Newton. I think every year a guy goes past 30 the more likely the cliff is there and no one saw the cliff, including that player. And I, I actually, if you gave me kind of decent odds, I would take and Keel Harry straight up out targeting mm-hmm. Julian Edelman as a, as a first round guy who just was hurt last year, but was targeted more than you remember in their playoff game. So that's kind of it with Edelman. Yeah. Harry makes a lot of sense as a post type guy because they need him to play. I mean, there's no upside for Sanu Edelman into an age 34 season. Remember so much of what Edelman did well was being on the same page with Brady that that's out the window. I don't know how much time he's going to have to to get synced up with Cam. I I just think New England's a in a lot of ways a bad fit, but I see the case for Harry. I think he's an interesting investment. Uh, Davis Maddock has been our guest today on the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast on Twitter. Davis Maddock, D A V I S M A T T E K. Uh, Davis, tell our listeners what else you're working on this year. Uh, all my fantasy content is free. My rankings, my projections, my articles on SportsGrid.com. I do a weekly, uh, actually in the season, more often, three or four times a week, the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, And then I host a uh, more conversational lifestyle, you know, gambling fantasy style show called The Take Cast, 
Uh, and you can find all of those things if you just Google my name or search it in wherever you listen to podcasts. Good stuff. Uh, and if you are a podcast guy, remember, I, I do host the Yahoo Fantasy Baseball podcast. Um, we, we're coming at you with five of these Yahoo Fantasy Football forecast podcasts, both preseason and in-season. Please uh, download the Yahoo NFL podcast. We have a great poly- a college sports podcast on Yahoo with, with Wetzel, Forty, and Thamel. Those guys are great. So uh, a lot of ways to serve you in the podcast space. For our guest, Davis Maddock, who was great today, for my producer, Ragu, who's keeping us on the air and sounding great, I'm Scott Pianowski. Andy Barron's coming at you tomorrow, and, uh, and I'll be back with baseball on Monday. So a lot to talk about. Sports are coming back. Glad you're with us. We will talk to you soon. It's no secret that our world has been interrupted. A World Interrupted is a daily podcast telling stories of coronavirus and its impact on the economy. We want to cover the issues in the macro, global economics, the stock market, and our political climate. We'll also cover the micro stories, maybe the ones you don't hear as much about in the news or the media. We hope you'll listen and be a part of the journey. So subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.